on Easter part two. Easter is a 52-week celebration here at Grace Bible. <laughs> and we are looking forward to continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, A Kingdom Upside Down. Uh, whenever you read through the Old Testament, you see that it's very much connected to the New Testament. One of my favorite pictures that we see in Scripture reminds us that God is not simply interested in the most athletic or the most attractive or the most creative. Uh, he, he simply wants to call those that he desires to call. So for every one of us in this room who is not athletic or creative or attractive or whatever else your thing may be, just be encouraged by that. And if you are those things... People have been being telling lies to you for a long time. So, I kid. When you look into uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, you've got a man named Samuel. The book's named after him. He's gone to find a new king for Israel. Because Saul has made mistake after mistake after mistake. And God has let Samuel know, go to the house of a man named Jesse. Jesse has numerous sons and I'm going to have those sons come out and you're going to know who the son is. So he gets there. Jesse has numerous kids. And he pulls out his seven, the best and the brightest. Jesse pulls out Bo and Luke. He even gets out Coy and Vance. And they're all there. That's a Dukes of Hazard reference, and I need you guys to approve that. <laughs> and as he looks at them, every time he looks at one, he says, this has got to be the guy. And God would let him know, no, this isn't the guy. Over and over, this has got to be the guy. No, this isn't the guy. God, look at this one. This has to be the king. No, this isn't the guy. Eventually, God says to Samuel, The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And eventually, they find David in a field shepherding the sheep of his father, protecting them from bears and lions and tigers. Oh my. You get to the New Testament and the line of David continues with this new king who has arrived named Jesus. And Jesus in his inauguration, in his speech that he would give on January the 20th, In what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes back to God's picture of the human heart. Because he's got a group of people who have spent their entire lives dealing with outward and not inward. And I think if we're not careful in 2017, we can find ourselves satisfied with the outward and not the inward. Hope and I have been married for about 10 years in May. So that's next month. If on May the 10th you could send me a text message and let me know, let me know I've got 8 days to buy something, I would appreciate that. <laughs> married for 10 years. And... I don't know how marriage works for you, but it's a little bit of an adjustment for people. I remember the first time that we went to Best Buy. 
and we were going to shop for a, a TV. And my husband in this scenario would do. I started with a TV that I thought was kind of sort of acceptable size-wise. And as soon as she approved of it, I moved to a bigger one. <laughs> That's okay. Moving on. I, I get to the 40-inch TVs. That, that's, that's fine. Another step down. I get to a TV that is as big as this room. And she said, Chad, no. What do you mean, no? Do you see that? It's like those football players will be in our living room every Sunday. Chad, a TV that size is the focal point of your room. Hope, the box with moving pictures on it should be the focal point of our room. <laughs> Other differences that you notice. My wife is super clean. I am not super clean. She is organized. I am not organized. She has everything together. So when we begin to divvy up household chores, it goes a little bit like this. She does all the hard stuff and she just asks me to do a couple of things. One of those is folding laundry. I don't even do that very well because most of the time I just hand it to a kid and hope it gets the right drawer. The other is cleaning toilets. Husbands in the room, how many of you are the toilet cleaner at your house? All right. What a job. Here's what I need you to do. Deal with any remnants of human waste whatsoever. So you go in there and you've got your stuff. So, so we'll be having conversations about this. And I just want to watch the TV that's not as big as I want it to be. And, and we'll begin to interact. We really need to do these things. We, we... So I get up to go do them. And I'm going to do everything that comes with cleaning the toilet. I'm going to pull out the Clorox spray. I'm going to even use the sanitized wipes that are there. I've bought a wand like I'm the Harry Potter of bathrooms. <laughs> I'm on the toilet and make it really, really clean. I'm going to go through the actions of making sure this is done. But there's always the chance that she'll notice the look on my face. Because it's not something that I want to do. It's a heart thing. In 10 years in, I'm better. But there's the idea of the heart that's there. Your heart's not in it. In Matthew chapter 5, as we continue the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals with heart issues. For the people of Israel, for their religious leaders... There were heart issues that had not been considered. And if we don't look at the heart, then we're not looking at anything. Matthew chapter 5, picking up with me in verse 21. You have heard that it was said of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say... Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Mr. T will be in complete trouble. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there 
before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in the prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out of this until you have paid the last penny. 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with a lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right eye causes you, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Divorce. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife will let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So we're going to deal with lust, adultery, and anger in about 25 to 30 minutes. Jesus has just given us one portion of the, what are called the antitheses. There are six phrases here that Jesus uses for teaching. I'm doing three today, three next Sunday, and we will deal with retaliation and the love of your enemies. But all of these, there's one point that he's teaching. You have a heart issue. Please notice what he says over and over. You have heard it said this, but I'll tell you this. You've heard it said this, but I tell you this. The Jewish people, when they were taken captive by Babylon, there was a time where they were completely removed from the Torah. They were removed from the scriptures. They had no knowledge of it. And then when everything comes back together for them, they sit down and there are those who are the religious elite. And these religious elite make the decision that they are going to give the people the simplicity of scriptural teachings. And they're going to let them know what it says. And that they're going to let them know what the punishment is. You've heard it said this. Their entire lives, these Jewish people, many of whom could not read, have heard this said. But I tell you this. Their religious leaders had given them direction without considering why they were giving them direction. And they would even let them know what the punishments for their sins were without dealing with the root of the problem. You've heard this, but I tell you this. And they were probably good intentions at first. But as time passed, and whenever you have good intentions, you find that there are certain people who take advantage of those. And the religious leaders began to take advantage of those. Not for the sake of the people, but for their own sake. So this law that was meant to lead in a very good way only gets you so far. And the people were caught in this endless cycle of living in what had happened instead of where they were going. We have enjoyed Texas thus far. This state is bigger. You keep telling me that. It's written on my garbage bag. And I'm also told not to mess with it. And I agree. The only state in the world that has open carry. I don't even know what that means, but it's crazy sounding to me. 
So I'm not going to mess with Texas. I'm not going to litter Texas. I'm going to make sure that I take care of Texas. We go to, I think I heard an amen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. So I've got, we take the kids on Monday. They were out of school um, as the public school system celebrated Easter without actually calling it Easter. And we go to the Houston Zoo. And we're walking around experiencing the Houston Zoo and ironically numerous photos of J.J. Watt. And... <laughs> I found out that he eats more calories a day than a tiger, which is weird to me. So we're there at the zoo and we're going through the gorilla section. And Hope's got the three, got Alder. Alder's our baby. And Alder's noticing the gorillas as we're walking through. And then it hit me. The entirety of the time that we were at the zoo, Alder never wanted to go forward. Every time we would move forward, he would take us by the hand and try to pull us back to where we'd already been. And we'd pick him up and we'd take him to the next section and then he would try to pull us back to where he'd already been. This was the recurring theme with my almost two-year-old as we were at the zoo that day. He cared less, could care less about moving forward because he understood where he'd already been and where he'd already been was good for him. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is dealing with a group of people who have no desire to move forward because where they have already been is comfortable. Where they have already been, they've seen and they know they can see the lines on the side. They can see that there is a set place for them to walk. There is structure for them. There's a path for them to go. Where they have already been is good enough. But Jesus says, where you've already been is damning. How many of us are caught up in where we've already been? I mean, I don't think we have to throw ourselves in the attire of the Jewish person in the days of Jesus to see that we struggle moving forward. To see that we like parameters that say don't do this and don't do that. And there are times where we care less as to why we're not doing those things. You've heard it said. Don't murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. I think all of us would shake our heads and affirm that. There are even people in this room who would try to explain away that they are a good person by the fact that they have not committed murder. What do you want? A cookie? How do we decide that we're good because we've not done dastardly things? You've heard it said, don't murder. And whoever murders will be judged. You've heard that. And there's truth to that is what Jesus is acknowledging. But let's go deeper. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Wait, we've shifted from concrete to abstract. How do we measure anger? And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. 
So this just went from me being able to say, I'm good and you murderer are bad, to me looking and saying, there are people in my life who I've had so much anger and aggression towards that I wanted them to be removed from the earth. And you have too. Right? I mean, if I'm going to acknowledge my sin here, I need you to do the same. You've heard it said, don't step outside of the box. But Jesus is saying the wickedness of your heart never leaves it. He then gives some exaggerations, and I love this about this passage, how Jesus exaggerates. Because he's about to talk about what you do when, your bro- when you have wronged your brother. 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Now, the altar for the Jewish people is where they meet with God. They have to do this. But Jesus says this is such a big deal that you need to leave your gift at the altar And go make things right. Now to give you a fuller picture of this, this is not something that you do simply for the sake of doing. You run home, run back. It's not like me driving to my house and driving back here. We're talking three-day journey. One way. So Jesus uses exaggeration here. This is a big deal. Chad, are you saying we should not take the Bible literally? Well, there are times when we need to remember taking the Bible literally and taking the Bible seriously are two separate things. Jesus is saying your heart and my heart, they matter. That he doesn't just want us to make sure we're taking care of the external, but that he wants us to consider the internal. Are we considering the internal in regards to our relationships? Our making sure that our lives honor God in light of right relationship. Do we have forgiveness in us? He even goes further. Leave your gift there, he says in verse 24. Verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. This is the way it is, Jesus says. You will never get out until you've paid a penny. Very massive illustrations by Jesus as to the serious nature of being unable to forgive and not dealing with our anger. How many of us make a practice of dealing with our anger? How many of us blow up for the sake of blowing up? That we're, that we're hot and bothered for the sake of being hot and bothered? That we're angry for the sake of being angry? I just know this. I've gotten to know some of you. You have high-pressure jobs. Are you processing the high-pressuredness of your job to deal with your anger? Because I would imagine that you work with people that you don't always agree with. If you, do, if you work with people you always agree with, let me know if you're hiring. And let me know how many years I need to work to get whatever engineering degree you have. Engineering jokes go over well in this room. There's something to be said here by Jesus about dealing with what's there. And not simply saying that you're okay because you've not done 
this. We take out our frustrations on our kids, on our families, on our dogs. Deal with it. You've heard it said this, Jesus says in verse 25, 27 rather. You've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. I mean, that's just another one. How many guys have tried to convince their wife that they are a good person? I don't get, I don't kill people. I don't cheat on you. You've been hearing that your whole life, Jesus says. But I tell you this. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And every lady who looks at a man with lustful intent has done the same thing. For the rabbis who were trying to set the rules for Israel, it was easy to say, don't cheat on your spouse pretty simple. You're either an adulterer or you're not. And if you are you won't be for long because you get killed. Jesus goes further. Every one of you who have allowed your minds to linger, you're an adulterer. Every one of you who have thought things you should not think you are an adulterer. If your right eye causes your, you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Exaggeration again. For if your right hand calls you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. How do you know that he's exaggerating? Because, let's just be honest, those are external things in and of themselves. You can lust without eyes and hands. Origin of Alexandria, one of the early church fathers, he, he, he did this. He removed body parts. But that's still there, the, the, the wickedness in us. What Jesus is referring to is what a man by the name of John Stotts calls the mortification of sin. And that's the idea that we should kill sin before it kills us. So imagine, maybe you, you've watched a commercial where uh, people are with a large animal. A, like a carnivore. Not just a, a hippo or whatever. Though I do hear they're pretty dangerous from the zoo. And so you're watching this commercial where a lady is laying down beside a tiger to, for whatever reason, advertise a watch. <laughs> you know, because tigers and watches. That's what I think of. And while she lays beside said tiger, the, the tiger is doing tiger things and roaring occasionally. And then you'll go and you'll watch a show uh, where, uh, called When Animals Attacked, Right? Have we ever seen that when animals attacked? What a dumb idea. They do a whole show where we cheer for the animal because animals do what they're supposed to do. 
So the woman laying down beside the tiger gets eaten by the tiger because it's a tiger and that's what they do. Jesus says here in this passage, as we, he's talking about dealing with your sin, there are things in us that you need, to, you need to expect sin to function as sin. And if you are not cutting into it and removing it, continually about the process of seeking to be more like me, then those things will eventually rear their ugly heads. This isn't about us cutting off eyes and removing our hands. It's about us setting our lives in line with what God has taught us about being his people. It's about us finding community as believers where people push us to be more like Jesus and having those in our lives who we can lean into when things seem bad. It's about our groups here at Grace functioning in a way where we are celebrating all the good that God has done and that we, where we are leaning into one another so that we can remove the problems that we deal with daily so that we can celebrate the good that God is doing without distraction. It's about people knowing you and you knowing people. It's about being loved for the sake of being holy. Jesus is leaning in, not to the external, but to the internal, to the heart. And then he goes to divorce. What a great conversation piece in 2017. When statistics tell us that most people are divorced and sadly more Christians are divorced than non-Christians. Whoever divorces his wife, let him get her a certificate of divorce. Now, two schools of thought for the Jewish people at this point because by the point they began to deal with divorce, the, the rabbis had split up. There were liberals and conservatives like everything else. And the liberals said this about divorce. The Hillel, the liberal rabbis. Their interpretation of that passage in the Old Testament. Anyone who finds something indecent about his wife has permission to divorce her. So let's flip the script. Because I don't like to throw things on ladies. Husbands, can you imagine if your wife functioned in a way... Where whenever she found something about you unacceptable, she sent you packing. Here were some of the examples that they had to deal with. If the husband showed up and dinner was unacceptable, certificate of divorce. If the husband showed up and the wife said a bad word about his mother, certificate of divorce. If he found someone prettier, certificate of divorce. The other side with the Shema, they were much more conservative with how they understood this, but they were graceless. They believed that there, these parameters were acceptable, and if you were not functioning within them, then there's a problem with you. 
here's what Jesus says. I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, you make her commit adultery. He puts the weight of this. I'm not sure what's happening up here. He puts the weight of this on her. On him. The weight of divorce on him. Anyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now there's a fuller teaching of Jesus on this. But ultimately, because he's not literally just dealing with anger. And he's not only dealing with lust. He's not only dealing with divorce. We look at this and we see what Jesus is really looking at for every person who's hearing him. Are you addressing your heart issues? Are you looking beyond what is functional? What is set up for you to walk in line with? Are you seeing to something deeper? And we just have to ask that. All of us, every week, every day. Am I dealing with this on a deeper level? But it gets tricky. Because Jesus will eventually say, in verse 48, his wrap up to this. Just be perfect. How can you be perfect? You can't. None of us can. You be perfect because your Father in Heaven is perfect. How can we do that? None of us can perfectly deal with our heart. It's like this. Hope and I have been married for two years. And she's always been a really good planner. Um, we had frozen meals for, that she prepared when we were have babies in the deep freeze. Which was good because you don't need to eat french fries every day. Which is where I would have trended us towards. <laughs> and one day she has me get out some spaghetti that's deep frozen. Deeply frozen. To use the proper adverb. And I, I get it out. We go outside to talk to our neighbor. And unbeknownst to her, I have turned on the eye of the stove. And unbeknownst to me, you're not supposed to put glass on the eye of the stove. And we're talking to our neighbor in the yard. And we hear this explosion outside, inside. We think it's taking place outside. We think someone's dog is loose and that he has torn down a fence. It sounded like something had exploded in our neighborhood. 
when we walked into our house, that frozen spaghetti that was never supposed to be on top of the eye had blown up. There were noodles over here. There were mushrooms over here. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs everywhere we looked. Because we had placed something on the surface and not put it where it was supposed to be. What Jesus is telling us here in this gospel, as he takes all of the Old Testament teachings and as he makes them complete, is this. To simply deal with things on a surface level and let them sit there. You are waiting and waiting and waiting for an explosion that you do not see coming. And the way that we deal with these things that honors God and that helps our lives to function in line with those around us is to insert that fully into the grace of Jesus because let me be real with all of us for a moment none of you are perfect and neither am I and our hope is that our perfection comes because of who we have placed our trust in and these are guidelines that lead us to grace Martin Luther says that the law is an usher to grace we should always hope that these things take us to be in living in God's grace. How are we doing with that? How are our lives living in light of that? Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you just to bow your heads right there. And uh, we've thrown out some words that every one of us deal with. We've talked about anger and lust. And we've talked about divorce. All of us are impacted and affected by all of these things. Are you a person who deals with them on the surface? Or does this go deeper for you? Are you satisfied with surface level responses to these issues in your own heart? Like many of the Jewish people were and as many of them were instructed to. Or for you, is dealing with anger, dealing with lust, dealing with divorce, is it more than that? Are your hearts, is my heart moving more and more towards the grace that God has shown us in Jesus? Because the law should be taking us there. I want you just, as you are there, to think through personally, how am I dealing with these things? And in a moment, as we begin to sing, on your own time, join with our, our guys. Don't feel like you need to do this for your sake. Stand and sing because that's what we do in church. But let what God has taught us about our hearts sit on us for a moment. And we sing of His grace and mercy and love. Be grateful for that. Lord, we thank you for today. And I just pray that you will help us to see that you do not simply want us to deal with external things, but to, as those who follow you, to deal with the internal implications. God, for those of us who have trusted in you, who follow you, Jesus, you are saying to us, this is who you are. You are mine. So deal with this at a heart level. 
daily, regularly. Put these things to death. For those of us who may not know you, Jesus, we pray that you would use what's taking place here this morning to show yourself. You know, again, with your, if you're one of those people who've never placed your faith in Jesus, there's a connect card that was handed to you as you walked in. We would love to follow up with you about that. So just check. I would like to talk to a pastor or uh, I would like to talk to someone about a relationship with Jesus. And we'll follow up with you in the next week or so. We're grateful for you. Jesus, make yourself known to us today.